I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. to see also i'm kate jinks and i'm Brody lancaster and we have another toy poodle episode <laughs> <laughs> for you after the last one we're doing it again baby um this time we're going to be talking about romy and michelle's high school reunion yeah i forgot to say we didn't mention that in our last toy poodle episode this is my life is having its 30th anniversary this year and Romy and Michelle's is having its 25th anniversary this year. Oh, my God. A fine vintage, these early 90s gal pal movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for using the term gal pal. I don't mean it in the way the tabloids do, which is code for lesbians. Yeah, I wish. It's 1997. Romy White, Michelle Weinberger are best friends going out in Venice Beach where they live. And they find out through the reappearance of a little someone called Heather Mooney played by Janine Garofalo, that their high school reunion is coming up. And with it, all the old buried teenage insecurities simmer up to the surface. Romy, played by Mira Sorvino, insists that they need to improve themselves before coming face to face with their high school bullies again. Um, She wants them to get more impressive jobs, find boyfriends and lose weight, question mark. 
Uh, once they get closer to the event, literally and emotionally, she and Michelle, uh, played by Lisa Kudrow, find themselves uh, lying about their lives and losing one another, losing touch with one another for a few hours, but it's significant, before they reunite just in time to resolve all their high school trauma with what else but a dance sequence. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Did you, were you into this film when it first came out? Absolutely. Like the the fact that it came out in 97 is kind of surprising to me because I was seven, um, but it feels like this film is in my DNA. Like re-watching it uh, in preparation for this convo, I, I'm that annoying person who could probably recite the entire screenplay from top to bottom. Like it is, it's deep in there. I had, when I was like 15, I became friends with this girl who I would hang out with after school and on weekends and like all through the school holidays. And I'm pretty sure we watched Romeo and Michelle 30 times once. Like it was, we would watch it every time we hung out with each other, which was a lot. It was just everything to me. It's funny how that happens. Like, sorry, segue, but when there is one film that you just rewatch over and over with the one friend, like I remember I had this friend in primary school and we would do the same thing, like on school holidays, but we would watch Flowers in the Attic over and over. over. Oh, jinxy. <laughs> wow. Dark. Yeah, mm. kind of dark, but also fitting. I don't yeah, know. It makes sense. I had like, I used to, my parents didn't put many rules around the things that my sisters and I could watch. And I realized as I got a little bit older that like, not all of my primary school friends would want to watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show or like Jawbreaker. And sometimes they had rules around what they were allowed to watch. And uh, those movies were not within them. Oh yeah. I had full like carte blanche on what I was watching. My parents had no idea and yeah. did not care. I watched Twin Peaks when it first came out. I was 10. Wow. I had Laura Palmer's diary. My dad let me get it out of the library under the adult <laughs> section. I don't know why. It's books. It's books. Exactly. He was like, yes, she should be able to read this. This is for an, an older audience. It's good that she can read that well. Learning. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Romy Michelle is kind of it's, it's quote unquote grown up, but it's very innocent. I think part of the appeal, though I probably didn't think this at the time, was that it, it had this really like innocent and fun version of adulthood. Like Romy and Michelle obviously are in their late 20s in the film. It's been 10 years since they graduated high school, but they're very innocent in their kind of interests and their lifestyle you know they they sit up in their little single bands and they watch movies together and they eat candy and they dress in these like you know very colorful matching costumes and like go out and party and it's it's very sweet really yeah it is and they have such a yeah it's like a delightful friendship and intimacy that you don't really see like there are lots of films and tv shows now about best friends but yeah, this is this was special. Yeah, and it's it's really fun to watch now and think of how how like devoid of sex and romance and and all of that this film is. Like there are obviously parts of it like the oh Ramon <laughs> scene and and like everything around Billy Christensen when they get to the to the reunion. I was about to say to the prom, but overall like Romy and Michelle just like they are so satisfied in their life together that those, it's not until Romy starts freaking out about all the things she should have 
been and she should have in her life. They're not even really conscious that they're doing something outside the norm. They're just doing what they want to do. And it's really like fun and silly and still to this day, like attractive to me as a life. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I find find their relationship together and what they do sounds great. Sounds great to me. It's shocking to me that it took until they were 27 for them to float the idea that they should just sleep with each other or make out with each other. Yeah, and then they're like, oh, no, but if we're 40 and 30. single. 30 and single. Oh, my God. It's my best friend's wedding era. <laughs> where she, what was she like if I'm not married by the time I'm 28 or something? Oh, God. Well, they would have been about 28. Yeah. 27, 28. Yeah. Was, yeah. That's when we all start having our existential crises. What is this called in astrology? It's your um, oh, Saturn Return. Retu- Saturn Returns. Mm. <laughs> Romy and Michelle's Saturn Returns is the sequel. Oh, Romy is totally having a Saturn's Return in this. Absolutely. I hadn't thought about that before, but I think you're spot on with that. It's Saturn's Return? I've been saying Saturn Returns all these years. It's like Coles de Sac. <laughs> what? The plural of Coles de Sac is Coles de Sac. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, like passes by, you hyphenate the first... Saturn returns, Saturn's return. I mean, either way, Saturn is returning. Yeah, she back. She back. (laughs) Deal with it. (laughs) I came to this film really shockingly late. Yeah. I didn't see it when it came out. I have no idea why. I mean, it came out a year after Clueless. Yeah. Which is like a similar vibe, like the teen vibe, I guess. This feels like an Amy Heckling movie. Yeah, and she was brought on originally to direct, oh, but really? she didn't vibe with it. Oh, interesting. Because it was too close to what she had done with Clueless, she felt. Not that it was like a rip of Clueless, but I think she wanted to be doing other kinds of films at that point. Not just be the Valley Girl director. Yeah. Yeah. And what she did with Clueless was so special and unique. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I loved Clueless. I saw it many times in the cinema had the soundtrack and set mm-hmm. yuck I just abbreviated etc I loved it it's <laughs> set I know but you can already abbreviate it's anyway foul you foul looked foul. very cool doing it it's set um I'm gonna use that all the time Same. watch out <laughs> um but yeah I I I don't know it wasn't actually until I was hanging out with a friend named Romy and the movie came up in my like mid to mid twenties, I guess. And everyone was shocked that I had not seen this film. And I was like, yeah, I just never got around to it. And then we watched it that night and I became a firm fan. I remember meeting someone whose sister is Romy. And I was like, no, that's not how you pronounce that name. <laughs> I've always, it's Romy and Michelle. And turns out, this movie is the albatross around the neck of everyone whose name is Romy. One thing that kind of connects this to, I mean, there are kind of a lot of connections between this and This Is My Life, if you really want to go looking for them, and of course we do. But the This Is My Life was based on a book that came out in 1988, and this movie is based on a play that was on in 1988. Yeah, I had no idea until I was like preparing for, for this podcast that that is where Romy and Michelle came from. Yeah, I, I, Zoe knew it. She's told me multiple times it's her favourite thing based on a like favourite play adaptation. Oh, I was really? always like, lol. And that's like, no, it's true. So the play is like a thing? The play was a really big deal. Okay. It was called Ladies Room. It was written by Robin Schiff, who wrote this film. Yep. And 
it did, it played like in one theater in LA for like quite a long time. And it was all set in a women's bathroom, I think at a stand-up club. And so people would just kind of, women would just come and go from this bathroom. And then <sighs> there were, as like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern characters in it and they were Romy and Michelle. So the play was not about Romy and Michelle. Yeah. They were just sort of the Greek chorus who would like come through and yeah. and have these like witty asides. I read a review of it um, from the LA Times in like, yeah, 88. I don't know if it was set like in different uh, stagings of the play. It was set in different places. This one was set in the bathroom of a Mexican restaurant. Yeah, right. Um, and so the review was really funny because it was like, the the things as green as the margaritas is the like faces you'll make or like it's not just the enchiladas that are spicy in this in this play and it described you know the valley girls um Romy and Michelle a pair of totally awesome valley girls and Lisa Kudrow was Michelle right from the start yeah from the very beginning that's I I can't believe I didn't know this but I Apparently in this staging of it, um, Romy was played by Christy Meller, who was an actress who has done a lot of bit parts on TV, including like Seinfeld and Frasier, like one episode runs in like a million shows. She also played Squealing Girl in Parking Lot in Heathers. Oh, yeah, right. That iconic role. <laughs> that iconic role, that Christy Mellor's role. Yeah. Yeah. So Robin Schiff was, she's a comedian and she taught at The Groundlings and oh. She was, uh, she didn't teach Lisa, but Lisa's teacher there or tutor put like Lisa forward essentially. And Robin says that she wrote that role essentially for Lisa Kudrow to play because Lisa Kudrow was not really in anything at that. This is very pre Friends, obviously. Yeah. And Friends had come out by the time the film got made, but the film took a really long time to get made. Huh. Like, yeah, I mean, from 1988 to 1997. It was in, like, what is commonly known as development hell. Sure. It was rewritten a bunch of times, so Robin wrote it, and I think Disney picked it up, and then another writer was brought on. Like, it was that, like, back and forth. And then at one stage, a new, like, boss of Disney came in, and there were 11 films in pre-production or not even in pre-production, like yet to be greenlit. And he got rid of nine of the films and one of them that stayed was Romy and Michelle and it was partly because his wife loved the script so much. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's it's wild that it went through so many hands before it got made because usually that, I mean, the cliche is that that waters down an idea or that it's like too many chefs kind of thing. But the script for this film is so incredible. Yeah, and Robin was involved except for like for six months or something in the entire time. And I think she was like taken off the project for a bit and then okay. she came back. And it's essentially her screenplay with a little bit of, you know, fine-tuning, et cetera, and a different ending, I believe, from the director who put that in. Right, okay, the, the Sandy Frink financed boutique at the end <laughs> yeah i believe so <laughs> just seeing janine garofalo in that little sundress in the end um and they're like she's like our our, our child but a big giant girl who <laughs> smokes and says shit a lot <laughs> 
Yeah, I it's it's when you yeah, when you read through those like there's an oral history available of this film in Vogue from a few years ago that really goes into like the production side of it. And it's so intriguing. Mm. Has Robin Schiff I'm sorry to put you on the spot, you're just like my trivia for this film now. Like Robin Schiff has she done has she written other films or directed anything since this? Because hearing about her being like taken off the film and kind of I'm reading between the lines and thinking like maybe they didn't trust her as like the sole creator of a film or something. And it's giving me flashbacks to like reality bites. And you know how the the screenwriter of reality bites kind of like never got another project made again. Mm. Yeah. She didn't do very much. She has been involved as a writer and producer on a lot of TV shows. Um, like a working girl, um, almost perfect and gross point, which was the show based on gross point blank, which was the only other film that Disney financed that year. Huh? Wow. Mm -hmm. Gross point. Was that the TV show about the WB teen show? Oh yeah. They not, is that not connected to the film gross point blank? I don't think so. (laughs) Gross point. The TV show was a wild ride. It was like a satirical kind of like the Ryan Murphy show popular. And it was like all the teen stars on a WB sitcom. And it was produced by Aaron Spelling, I think, or maybe Aaron Spelling wanted it cancelled because it very much set up like an Aaron Tory Spelling kind of dynamic with like the creator of the fictional show and the star of the fictional show. It was wild. There was one guy on it who was obsessed with um, Kristen Davis from Sex and the City. And I remember because I wasn't old enough to watch Sex and the City that I just... I was like, who is this woman? (laughs) I was Kiki Palmer. Sorry to this woman. I never watched Gross Point, the TV show, because I thought it was based on the movie. And I was like, well, I've seen the movie. Gross Point, the TV show, I actually have tried (laughs) to find for years. And recently somebody uploaded it all to YouTube. And I think it was maybe on like a very early list of things that I wanted to talk about on C also. So maybe we should do that in a future episode. Okay. It's it's really like if memory serves, which I was like nine or ten, it's good. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll try it. Yeah, I'll let's give there. it a go. I'd also like to re-see the film. Anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, eventually the director who came on is David Merkin, and he was a stand-up comic, so he really kind of got the material, and he loved Robin Schiff's screenplay, and he'd been involved in heaps of great shows like the Larry Sanders Show. But he was kind of famous at that point because he was the showrunner and executive producer of The Simpsons. Oh. And he was the one who kind of came onto The Simpsons and brought in a more kind of abstract element to it. And that's what he became quite famous for. Huh. And so that is part of the reason why Romeo and Michelle's is so kind of fantasy driven. Like there are all these like crazy fantasy scenes. And he said that he wanted it to be a movie that worked like an animation. Mm, all the diving in and out of the yearbook is like a structural yeah. thing that I really only appreciated on this most recent watch. Yeah, it makes so much sense. Yeah, that that structure of the film was something that jumped out at me on this recent watch that, I mean, when I was younger, I didn't pay that much attention to, but I feel like we've seen a lot recently, most recently with like in that movie where Rebel Wilson gets a concussion, uh, which one, um, and wakes <laughs> up after being like a cheerleader. I haven't seen it. 
it. Sorry. Don't. Um, the start is all her in high school. And then, you know, she wakes up and she's in the future and that's that. But Romy and Michelle does such a great job of like, you meet them as adults. You see their lifestyle. They go to the club. They go to work. They watch Pretty Woman in bed together. They eat candy. They wear these fun outfits. And then you start like dipping in and out of their past as they're looking through their yearbook, like Mm. preparing for the reunion. So it's just a really fun way of getting all that background and all that context once you already love and care about these two girls. Those flashback scenes are so good. (sighs) They set it up so well. And I really love that it's – it does not paint high school in a good way at all. Like this is firmly a film for outsiders. Mm -hmm. Like sure you think of Romy and Michelle as like – very pretty blonde girls, but like they had a bad time in high school and they were really picked on, etc. And they also picked on other people at school, mm. which is great. Like there's this, it sets up this whole hierarchy where no one is essentially having a good time. Yeah. But yeah, that high school was not great. Mm. And, and it's not great for them, despite being like pretty blonde, white, thin girls, they were creative in a high school in a small town. Yeah, and in that Tucson, is, Arizona. Yeah, and that is in the late 80s, you know, like that's a universal experience of anyone who uh, was born and raised in a small town. You were just waiting to leave. Like all they wanted to do was go to L.A. That You see them as teenagers and people make fun of their clothes that they made themselves or, you know, they had crushes on the boys who were gay in the theatre department and and they were bullied and they felt the effects of being, like, picked on. But, yeah, you're right, like the trickle down of, like, high school cruelty meant that they picked on other people. Heather Mooney was cruel to Cameron Mannheim's character, Toby, um, while also imagining that life for Romy and Michelle was, like, all peaches and cream because they were, like, pretty. Yeah, and apparently, like... Robin Schiff, Lisa Kudrow, Mira Slavino, they all had terrible times in high school. Even the girl who plays Christy had a horrible time. She had full, like, dental work, like face, what, oh, what do you call that? When you like have headgear. Headgear. Yeah. And scoliosis and wore the back brace Stop. that Lisa Kudrow's character wore. Oh, my God. And uh, she apparently had a really hard time filming those scenes where she had to make fun of the like Lisa's character because she had the same thing in high school. Yeah. But the only person who worked on the film who had a good time was Janine Garofalo. She had a great time in high school. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Alan Cumming. Well, who knows? I mean, who knows? I'm sure he was having a great time in Edinburgh at that time. <laughs> Janine. Oh. oh, my God, of course. Janine is so good. I mean, we haven't we haven't even really talked about Lisa and Mira Sorvino. I know. It's well, it's like where to start? Like Mira Sorvino and Lisa Kudrow being in this film. I very much remember as a kid watching this being like, it's Phoebe and this other girl, because I had no reference point for like Mighty Aphrodite. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> she had one. just won an Oscar, but <laughs> yeah, it's not the same as Phoebe from Friends. Yes. Also the the time that we're recording this, Mira Sorvino's father just passed away a few days ago, Paul Sorvino, who I know from Goodfellas and um, had no clue. This makes me sound like so like unclued into anything, but like I had no idea until he died that he was her father. Then did I. Someone shared a video of her Oscars acceptance speech where she thanked him, the camera cut to him in the audience and he was just 
sobbing. He was so proud and she, oh my God, I'm going to make myself cry. She's describing like him, you know, teaching her everything she knew about acting as she's accepting an Academy Award. And he's just this big, scary mobster actor in the audience, just a a crying baby watching his daughter win an Academy Award. Yeah. And she is just so good in this. Um, And yeah, she just won Best Supporting Actress for Mighty Aphrodite the year before. And when she was being courted for this film, she... Her agents didn't want her to do it because they said it was too lowbrow. Mm. But she connected with the material. But they put in the contract that if she did win the Oscar, essentially she would make double the amount. And Lisa Kudrow put in her, her agents put in her contract that she would make the same as the other lead no matter what. Oh, my God. And then she won. And then they both got double the money. It's kind of incredible. Fuck, that's so good. So good. So good. Wow. Mira Sorvino's performance in this film is so specific. And I think it's only as I get older that I appreciate how strange it is. Like when I was a kid watching this, I mean, I was like a basic dumb child, but like I was watching it being like, Michelle is pretty and has a pretty name, Michelle. And she's like, she's from Friends, a show that I watch. And she's the one that the boys like in this, you know, world. And Romy was so harsh in comparison. I think to me as a child, like watching it now, I'm like, Romy's fucking cool. And she's like, has kind of like a punk edge. Like she's not the same tone of Valley Girl. They don't sound the same. They don't like look the same, um, which is something that I appreciate so much more now watching it. Yeah. She's, um, there's a reason why I connected with that character. Yes. But, uh, like Romy's a lesbian. Oh, she should be. She should be. (laughs) Yeah. She, I've been reading quite a bit of, I've been reading a lot about Mira Slavino and she, talks about like what she put into that character and how she decided to play her and how, and like when you're watching it, it's like her physicality really comes through. Like she's really not graceful at all at any point. And Mm -hmm. she said in one interview that she wanted her to feel like a football player in drag or a linebacker in heels. (gasps) And that is so good. And the voice that she does she didn't tell anybody she was doing it until the cameras started rolling and everyone looked freaked out. It's like, what the fuck? Stop. This is not a Valley Girl voice. Like she wasn't doing it in the read-throughs. Wow. And it's based on her how her little sister used to speak and it's like this Philly Jersey girl doing a Valley Girl accent and that's why she sounds oh. like kind of gruff. It's yeah. just great. She sounds like a teamster. She really does. Oh, Ramon. Oh, Ramon. I know. And she's like, what did she say? She's like, I'm America. You're Columbus. Discover Discover me, me. Ramon. So good. Wow. Yeah. And that line about like, uh, she cut her foot before and my shoe is filling up with blood. Yes. It's like she's got holding something in her mouth the entire time she's speaking. Yeah. 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 She's not, I mean, she is the character who's kind of more tightly wound. She's like, you know, less satisfied with how things have turned out for them. So there's a lot going on in under the surface of Romy. Yeah. And oh, I, I love that. She's such a fucking linebacker. Like yeah. She she walks like me in heels. <laughs> she walks like me, like yeah. me in heels. Yeah. I really love the, the, like the way they both played those characters and how Lisa Kudrow had been uh, Michelle for so long as well by that point from the play. And mm. yeah, it's just great. 
Um, and then, of course, Lisa Kudrow was like on Friends and she's like on the up and up. Uh, and then Mira Solvino, I think we need to touch on the fact that her career went fucking nowhere after mm. this because of like Weinstein and mm. how great it was that she was one of the first people to speak out about Weinstein and how it's kind of gratifying, I guess, in some ways that everything she said, like that she was essentially blacklisted by other directors because she wouldn't fuck Weinstein, mm. um, that uh, like Peter Jackson actually came out a couple of years ago and said that like Miramax Weinstein had told him that um, a couple of actresses, including Mira Salvino, were nightmares to work with. Uh, and that was like about it. Like they yeah. didn't go any further, of course. And so, you know, if you're a busy male director, <laughs> you're going to be like, oh, okay, well, I'll go with someone easy, whatever. Well, that can be like nightmare to work with can also be code for so many things, so, you know? Yes, yeah, so many things. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it was kind of good in a mm. way that he did come out and say that. And then was she, cause she was one of the first in, in or in one of those first Ronan Farrow pieces, right? He yeah. spoke to her. Yeah. And like, that's also connected. So, and she's now friends with Dylan Farrow and she feels mm. really oh, sad about the fact that she, her Oscar is from a Woody Allen film. And she kind of, in a lot of interviews, she sort of beats herself up about how she should have known something was off back then. And anyway, she said in one interview that it it really taints it. And it's so crazy that so much of my early career is tainted by Woody Allen and by Harvey Weinstein. It's sort of breathtaking. Mm. And it, it is because I mm. think that a lot of us that whole time you know, from the late 90s till a couple of years ago, we're like, where did Mira Sorvino go? Yeah. And well, even like before when I was like, what did this female screenwriter do after this? It's like, God knows what obstacles were in her way Absolutely. at the time that we just might never know about, you know? Yeah. All the like, where are they now? It's like, or who, who stood in their way or who fucking spread a rumor about them or yeah. d- completely sabotaged all of their opportunities. Yeah. No wonder they have such, like, affection for this movie too, you know? Totally. And also uh, really there's, like, a really deep friendship between um, both Lisa and Mira because they are both, like, incredibly smart women also playing these absolute ditzes who think they're really smart as well, and I love that. Yeah, I love that setup. Yeah, totally. They did um, – I know there are always kind of like things coming out about there being another Romy and Michelle. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously did – eight years after this came out, they tried to make a prequel or they made a prequel, like a TV movie with Catherine Heigl. But apparently in this TV movie, which I've never been able to bring myself to watch, um, it's all about the three years in between them finishing high school and moving to LA because I guess in the prequel they – didn't go straight away. They stayed in Tucson for three years, like as if these characters would stay there any <laughs> no. longer than they had to. Totally. Um, and in the plot of that TV movie, they stayed to save money, but only managed to save $68, <laughs> which was $8 more than they had when they finished high school. <laughs> and, but they go to, they decide to go to LA because they've just seen pretty woman. And so they decide they want to become sex workers Okay. And I mean, like Romy and Michelle, the original opens in such a cute way. Like there's a no doubt song playing. There's this beautiful long shot over Venice beach and it comes into their bedroom window and they're watching pretty woman. 
and Michelle cries when they finally let her shop. And it's like a really funny, sweet moment. And so this is just such a bizarre way to try to link like this bastardized prequel to the original. I don't know. Mm. It really rubbed me the wrong way. Shades of Dumb and Dumber to me. Yeah. Leave it alone or revisit it with the original actors. Well, I mean, as of like late June this year, Mira Savina has been talking in interviews that it's coming, like it's going to happen, nothing actual to report, but it, we're close to it. Yeah. So. I feel like people are always just asking Lisa Kudrow to do the do the thing again. You know, it's mm. like they did that Friends reunion at the start of the year. People are now saying, oh, it's been nine years since the last season of The Comeback, and that was nine years since the first season of The Comeback, so TikTok. And now it's like how many – years between Romy and Michelle, are they going to have to do like reunions or like a reunion of the reunion? Hmm. I don't know if I want to see Romy and Michelle and and their cast of schoolmates go to a reunion when they've been like following each other on Instagram or like the invite comes via Facebook event or something, you know, (laughs) like the joy of this is that they, they truly didn't know what they were getting themselves in for until they showed up. Yeah. I mean, there was no Facebook, but they yeah. had a phone. They famously had a, had a flip phone. <laughs> um, can we talk about Janine Garofalo in this, please? Please. Oh, Heather Mooney, be still my heart. I like, love that she plays this, like, full-on grump of a girl, this, like, <laughs> truly misanthropic teen character dressed in black, living in the desert, smoking between classes. I did not have a thing. I did not have a thing. I did not have a thing. The way she turns around to that woman behind her in line. I was very much in love with him. Very much in love. It's such a perfect role for Janine Garofalo. It's an incredible performance. She's so funny. And it features one of the best things to have ever happened in a film (laughs) for all of cinema's storied history, which is her taking a drink and then spitting it all out slowly. <laughs> it's just one of the best things. One of the best as Christy Masters knee Christensen is on stage at the reunion, like celebrating that one of their classmates plays professional football. <laughs> She's so good. And then of course that brings into the mix, Justin Thoreau mm-hmm. playing Clarence, the stuttering cowboy who she like <laughs> hooks up with. At the end. She's so good. Her playing off Cameron Mannheim is so funny. Her seeing Alan Cumming as Sandy Frank as this like millionaire who she only went to the reunion because she, you know, still held a candle for him. And then seeing him and being like, oh, I don't care anymore. (laughs) I love that. I love it. Yeah. She just does. It's just such a perfect, perfect role for her. There was a good piece in the New York Times, which we'll link to, uh, came out of like a couple of weeks ago now and it's a piece entirely about Janine uh it's called Janine Garofalo never sold out what a relief and in it the writer is kind of going through Janine's history because Janine still does a lot of stand-up but she doesn't and I saw her do stand-up a couple of years ago in New York at just like a small club but she doesn't have a phone, she doesn't have a laptop, etc. No emails. Really? Mm, nothing. She's like totally Fran Lebowitzing it. Even Fran Lebowitz is more connected at this point, I feel. But she refused to do an interview with the Times. But still the writer just writes this kind of 
reverent piece about her and interviews like a lot of people who have worked with her for a long time. It's great. It's mm. a really good piece. Is there? Is it like pegged to anything? Like, is she doing something new? Just work-wise? because she's doing a lot of stand up. Oh, okay. That's about it. Oh my god, Janine. Janine. She'll never listen to this. <laughs> no. But uh, like, bring out the Catherine Mannheim thing. Catherine Mannheim was like in her mid thirties when she played that role. Really? Yeah, she was mouth like, full of braces. It's so good. <laughs> she's so good. She's. Did you ever watch Can't Hardly Wait? One yeah. of my favorite like high school um, teen movies. Yes, of course I did. Cameron Manheim is like the Melissa Joan Hart character, you know, very eager for everyone to like make memories together mm. and have her yearbook signed. It's quite sweet. This reminds me of something I, I mentioned to you via text earlier this week. And I even like um, recruited other kind of pop culture researchers to try to f- help me figure this out. And I'm coming up blank. So I want to share to our listeners to see if they can help. I have a memory of seeing a photo of Cameron Mannheim in the 90s on a red carpet holding a tote bag with her own face on it, like a picture of her that she's had screen printed onto a tote bag. Google is not helping me. I can't figure out if it was another actress. Like in my head, it's either Catherine Mannheim or Kathy Najimy. Google says it's neither of them. So if anyone can figure this out, if anyone else remembers who I'm talking about, was there an actor on like Jag or like it's like Jag era <laughs> oh my God, celebrity? Jag. Yes, who it's thinks like about Jag, not you. me, but like it was that time when like Jag was a big <laughs> show. I re- that's 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 the era I'm talking about of like celebrity red carpet imagery. What year was Jag? Like it was like late nineties, like like Models Inc. I'm gonna say like ninety eight. There was an actress in my head. She was like a fat actress. When you Google that, you just get the Kirstie Alley show fat actress. So that doesn't help. (laughs) Um, And it was an actress on a red carpet holding a tote bag with a picture of herself on it. And I need to figure out who it was. Okay. Anyway, Cameron Manheim's performance in Romeo Michelle's Oscar Union is great. It's very good. It's very good, as is Elaine Hendricks. She's so good. What a good character flip, which is the, I think the director put that in. Oh, really? Yeah, that she's she, one of the mean girls, but then at the reunion she kind of turns and she's a Vogue editor. She's a Vogue her. editor and she's the one to comp- – the fun, frisky use of colour in Romy Michelle's designs. All in all, not bad. All in all, not bad. <laughs> I love it. So she obviously famously played uh, Meredith Blake in The Parent Trap the next year, the evil stepmother character who was like 26. Um, and then also – one of my favorite films, Superstar, the the movie length version of Molly Shannon's uh, Mary Catherine Gallagher character from SNL. She played Evian, the mean girl at the Catholic school. <laughs> God, I forgot that I'm going to have to rewatch. It's been a very long time since I've seen that film. Well, that brings us to the costuming of this film. And the mm. production design is so good. So good. It's excellent. And... So Main Burke was a production designer in this. And when they thought about how to dress or to put together the look of the apartments and the whole of the film, they saw Romy and Michelle as being purple and orange sherbet tones. And I saw that, mm. which is great, and it reconnected it in my mind with a piece I'd read about Romy and Michelle 
which described them as looking like slutty highlighters, which I found very funny. Yes. Yeah, totally. They're always, they're kind of like um, Power Rangers or like the Powerpuff Girls or something, like different colored versions of the same thing. Yeah. And the same, uh, same costume designer worked on Clueless oh. and apparently loved having more money uh, to <laughs> in this film. But a lot of kind of the iconic pieces are thrifted or uh, were actually owned by Mira or Lisa. Like the dress that Mira Silvina wears as Madonna in the flashback was hers. She looked so good with blonde hair and black roots. It's not even funny. That's so good. You can just, you absolutely, it's so absolutely accurate that those two girls would have worn those outfits to their school prom. Yeah, absolutely. And been surrounded by like the hot girls in like pastels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're so good. The costuming is phenomenal. It's really great. It's like big chunky costume rings. And like there's, there's like a cherry outfit that's like a cherry earrings and a cherry like crop top. There's oh. a lot of Moschino in this as well. It's like the one designer yeah. who comes through because it's like a lot of thrifted pieces and handmade pieces, but a hell of a lot of Moschino. You can imagine stills from this movie on like Jeremy Scott's mood board. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's like vaguely NASA dresses they wear at the end. Like, yeah, they're kind of like almost like slutty Star Trek really costumes. Are. Yeah, they've got like a little like diamond pattern on the front. There's something about it too that like – I'm the youngest of three uh, sisters. And so there were a lot of things in our childhood that was like, we would wear the same thing, but in a different color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My <laughs> sister's 10 years older than me. So we didn't have that. No matching. No matching. Yeah. Little bit of trivia. Yeah. Mira Silvina was dating Quentin Tarantino at the time. Really? Uh-huh. And... The thought of Quentin Tarantino watching this movie. Not enough feet. That was the no notes except not enough feet. Oh, there is like the shoe filling up with blood. I wonder how he felt about that. He, was he, he horrified? He probably loved it. He, probably he was like, it. show it. Um, <laughs> oh my God, that's probably like the, there's an edit. Like that was on the yeah. cutting room floor. He probably loved the scene where they're like slowly walking on the treadmill in their platforms. <laughs> Uh, well, he, so he, in his films, there's like one cigarette brand, which is Red Apple. Mm-hmm. And when you see them pulling away in their Jaguar from the Venice Beach apartment, watch out huge, Tucson, here we come. Yeah. There's a huge billboard in the background and it's for Red Apple cigarettes. Oh, there you go. That's, that's my trivia for you. Thanks, Quentin. Mm. I did have a, um, this is not trivia and it's also not a fact. It's just like a little dream <laughs> that I had as they were walking into the club. The first time we see them go into the club and they do their funny little like coordinated dance. Um, I did have a sudden urge to rewatch a night at the Roxbury. Oh yeah. And I was just thinking how somewhere deep in the recesses of my mind, there's like a spinoff where <laughs> Romy and Michelle encountered the Butabi brothers at a club in LA and they danced together. I'd like to see that. Yeah, me too. Well, I feel maybe like maybe that's the, the next film. Hey, I want them to find love. <laughs> I want Romy to be a lesbian in the new adaptation. I also yeah, want, she's got bad taste in men. That's true. But I also want them to have finally slept together before they turned 30. <laughs> Oh, yeah, they should. Um, If you read any interviews with the guy who played that character. Billy Christensen. Billy Christensen. Oh, he was revolting. He's like, no, that was my life. I was that guy in high school. (laughs) Woof. 
that is there is like very rarely such a satisfying bit of revenge oh, so good as when he like rewatching it recently i don't think i've ever noticed the vomit left on his face when he's hitting on romy at the end he's like weren't you in love with me in high school that's so foul and michelle's like ew she was <laughs> <laughs> why don't you wash your face and go upstairs <laughs> So good. So good. I have to stop doing a voice. I'm sorry. No, I love it. I'm I really support sorry. it. I support it. I can only do Heather Mooney's voice because that is my natural way of speaking. <laughs> I mentioned it in the intro, the dance sequence to end all dance sequences mm. to Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. Um, somehow Sandy knew exactly what to do, knew how to frame the girls' faces. I love it so much. Um, it did really remind me of like when I was a teenager and my friends would go out with boys who, um, and I was just like always the third wheel tagging along and <laughs> watching. Sandy wanted to dance with Michelle and she's like, yeah, but my friend's coming too. I was like, that's me. <laughs> I love that Sandy's like, yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, that took up most of the film's budget. That's what I was going to say. The film had a budget of $20 million and 240,000 of that, <laughs> of that budget went to licensing that one song for that one moment. I mean, it's worth it. Okay. Fucking it's worth, worth it. it. That's worth it. Mira's salary was worth it. Lisa's salary was worth it too. Very worth it. Um, I've mentioned this to you before, but when I watched the comeback for the first time very recently, there is like a storyline of um, Valerie Cherish having scoliosis and wearing a back brace when she's inside the um, cupcake a costume famously she keeps getting like knocked around and like pushed to the floor and you can see that she's like in pain but pushing through it to be a professional and all I could think was like Michelle Weinberger you know the back brace girls oh if you haven't seen the comeback do yourself a goddamn favor and watch the comeback it is one of the best shows Mm -hmm. of all time that's the biggest C also we have that's the C also yeah Thanks so much for listening. Another tiny poodle episode in the can, Jinxie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We'll be back with a regular episode next week. Um, In the meantime, if you want to share this one, follow us on Instagram at See Also Podcast and head over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a five-star rating and a review. We would love to read it. Yeah, and get in touch about what you would like to hear about on one of our next poodle episodes. As always, thank you very much to Samuel Hodge for our imagery and harvey sutherland for our original theme music see ya bye how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.